welcome back and thanks for tuning in to Oil & Gas Onshore, where I am on a relentless pursuit to bring value, unity, and information to the energy industry one conversation at a time. So sit back, relax, and remember that even this very device you're listening on requires some form of hydrocarbon. This episode is brought to you by Technip FMC, a company who truly represents the future of energy. Hey everyone, look, not only do you get awesome weekly content by listening, now you've got a chance to win some serious swag brought to you by Technip FMC. Each week, one lucky listener will win a bundle of gear, which includes everything I'm about to list. Seriously, everything. An audio duffel bag, a Yeti tumbler, an executive power bank power charger, a Columbia neck gator, and a set of Ace Pods 2.0, which are the true wireless Bluetooth earbuds. All you got to do is click the link in the show notes and enter your information to win. Simple. Now go get your swag on. Okay, well then we can go ahead and kick this thing yeah. off. Welcome to this week's episode. I'm here at the famous Canon with Alex Gross, Chief Commercial Officer of the Canon. Alex, welcome to the show, man. It's great to have you on. I appreciate it, man. It feels a little bit like a home game, right? Yeah. I, 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 I'm right back in where I do my day-to-day work, so, That's it's, so true. it's fun to be here. Yeah, so do you work out of here daily? We rotate a little bit. So okay. there are now seven Canon locations. Seven? Yeah. And so oh, all over two. kind of the greater Houston area. Yeah. And we'll dive into it, I'm yeah. sure, a little bit. But Houston's kind of a disparate landscape. And so targeting all these nodes of population density with locations that benefit the kind of the local entrepreneur community is kind of our, our target for this area. Yeah. And that's really smart because a lot of listeners are from Houston or Texas. But if anyone's familiar with Houston, it's so spread out, right? And that's one thing. And, you know, it used to be in oil and gas, which we'll touch on, mm. but especially if you're in sales or, or you're doing a lot of customer interaction, I mean, you're bouncing from, you know, an hour to get to the woodlands from Katy and you're downtown. And so it's, you have so many sub communities, yeah. whereas like a place like Denver, I feel like you could have one downtown and one in the tech center, maybe. Right. But here, yeah, you need like 20 <laughs> locations to cover the whole area. Hey? It just makes it easier to listen to your podcast when you're yeah. driving from location <laughs> to location. <laughs> well, I, I appreciate the support. I thought my mom was the only one who listened. So it looks like Alex might listen to. Yeah, which is there cool. you go. Too. So you're listening to yourself today. So, but no, I'm totally kidding. And, and for all the listeners, appreciate all the support. It's been great. The download numbers look great. I've had some fantastic guests, and so it's it's been a great year. And and this will be released probably mid-January, but it's been a great year. Alex, I'm curious for you over the course of the year or maybe over the last few years, but what core belief have you changed your mind on over the last couple of years? And this can be anything from personal business or really anything that comes to mind. Does yeah, anything- yeah. No, that's great. And in fact, most recently, I found a lot of people ask me what my favorite book is, right? And giving out a favorite book. And so that's not typically, I guess, the route you take to, tr- to figuring out your core belief, but I haven't considered myself a generally creative person. And so, so a lot of times I'll Frankenstein it through reading a lot of different, you know, works of art and works of passion and, and other yeah. people's books. And so what I found was that whether you can call it recessing bias or actual reprioritization of core beliefs. But one book led me to another, which led me to another, and it kind of just tweaked a little bit and built on itself. And speaking of driving a lot, when I was living in Brazil and I would have a four-hour commute to kind of the plant, I'd listen a lot of Tim Ferriss. And so I started there. Huge Tim Ferriss. Right? Yeah. And I guess if you're in podcasting, you got to be a big Tim Ferriss or, or Joe Rogan kind of fan. Of but course. The, so I started there and kind of went through different iterations through Jocko Willink and through now kind of Naval Ravikant. And so there's a lot of different, I guess you'd call them philosophers to, to a certain extent. Yeah. Modern day philosophers. So I wouldn't say that my core beliefs have necessarily changed, but maybe they reprioritized, right? And so 
I I think I want to say maybe five or six years ago, I did like a personal mission statement, right? Like what are the things that I want, you know, Alex Gross to accomplish in his life Mm -hmm. and what are the core things that need to be part of everything, right? Because to be honest, I didn't want to be in oil and gas. I never envisioned being in oil and gas, but my whole family are in the medical world and I was the one that was afraid of blood. So I I decided, you know, to go the engineering route because, you know, I had the aptitude for math. And so when I graduated, you know, my family was like, well, I don't, we don't really know what to do with you. So we'll just connect you to the Argentine community here. They're originally from Argentina. And if you're in Argentine in Houston, typically you're in oil and gas. Uh And that's how I got involved. And so I said, okay, as long as I'm meeting these core, you know, values, as you put them, then I can do anything. It doesn't matter what world I'm in, right? Interesting. And and so those are kind of, as long as I'm learning, kind of trying to maintain curiosity in everything that I do, as long as I'm traveling, granted, travel has diminished in that ranking when my daughter was born. I've got a son on the way, so I'm sure Congrats. it'll drop these. I appreciate that. Holy smokes. Yeah. And so, yeah, it'll probably diminish in the rankings a little bit. I Laughter to me, like finding the humor in, in things has, mm. has always been That's so healthy, fun. man. Yeah, yeah. I tried stand-up comedy. I'm really, really bad at it. So, <laughs> That's, so I'm, I'm going to pause here for a sec. That's funny because I told my wife I wanted to try stand-up comedy. And not because I think I'm funny, but because it's like oftentimes as adults, we don't put ourselves in extremely uncomfortable positions. Like I remember growing up again, I, I relate so many things to sports, but you know, going and playing on a team for the first time, it's like the first day you have no idea who your teammates are and, and you're yeah. going to go out there and try and perform or you go to your first dance as a kid, like with, you know, and then the first time you want to like hug a girl or, yeah, you know, just yeah. these, these things in life that are like overcoming that extreme fear, riding a bike. I mean, whatever the case is, it can be- as adults, we don't do that enough and so I you're absolutely you. right That's you're so absolutely awesome. right and it can be something as well so like what i try to do sometimes like i drove uber for a bit because i was Good like that's something different i'll yeah. meet new people it's weird you know i did yeah. instacart look i love the grocery store i love meandering through the aisles instacart man, they put so a time awesome. limit on you man and so like oh. to get your tip and so it's stressful it is i can I, see that yeah but oh, to your man. point it was a learning experience it was it was putting myself in a stressful environment an uncomfortable environment to kind of learn. yeah yeah and so, and there are two more that have kind of, I would say, rotate a little bit, but in terms of like, I wanted, you know, I wanted everything to be focused around family, but, mm. but I kind of treat, whether it's my coworkers or whether it's, you know, my actual family or whatever it is as my family and treating them with a certain level of respect, a certain level of trust, a certain level of support that I would if, if they were my own child, sister, brother, mother, whatever. Yeah. And so I try to engage in environments where that, that would be the case. And then the last one, I guess, like I said, it's rotated a lot. And so, you know what, I'm going to leave it open now that we're closing out 2021 and it gives us the opportunity to be a little bit more introspective and retrospective right? and kind of understanding where we move forward. But in the past, I'll tell you, it's been like being making, you know, fast decisions or like being able to digest data a little bit faster. I struggle mm-hmm. with that a lot. Maybe that's an engineering thing where I want, you know, a hundred percent of the data before I make a decision. That's just not life. So sure. being a little bit more decisive about things yeah, and moving forward. Sometimes it's been around being uncomfortable, but you can attribute that to kind of the learning core value. But, yeah. Wow. But those are the big things, learning, travel, family, and laughter. Yeah, That's really fascinating. And you touched on so many points. And I wanted to ask questions along the way, but you're describing a lot of really interesting things about yourself, which arguably you have a pretty good level of self-awareness through what you've described. But I'm curious, going back to like Alex's mission statement, and I think that's interesting because when you look at businesses, 
And I actually had a call yesterday with a gentleman and we're sort of consulting for a startup to try and get their product to market a little better. And it was, you know, I'm just trying to help out where I can and I had some time. But anyway, you know, it was when I had asked the question of, you know, what is your mission and, and what is your vision? It was somewhat defined, but not clearly defined. And mm-hmm. I think that whether it's personal mission, which again, I don't think many people would. I know right now, if you were to ask me what my mission is, I'd have to really think about it and say, can I get back to you? Because I haven't yeah. defined yeah. it. But I think if you define it, or at least you have that, it helps guide your decisions, perhaps easy, hard, whatever the case is. But it really, if you have the North Star and you know what you're working towards, you can then sort of you know make decisions according to that mission and vision of of what you want to be and that can be dynamic right it could change as we evolve i mean my mission as an 18 year old certainly changed <laughs> to what it is now yeah. but you know just reassessing it and then kind of recalibrating and say okay where am i at okay you know and so what is and you've described it but if you were to say your give your mission statement what mm-hmm. what would that be yeah, so it'd be a cop out to tell you that I'd have to get back to you since you just said that. But uh, well, no, but I, I mean, it's, a, it's a fair answer. I don't want to. That's, no, a, that's no, a tough question. I, I I think so. The biggest thing for me, and if you'll allow me, I guess mm-hmm. I, I kind of tend to meander with my story, so I'll try to be a little bit more succinct. So to that point about my family being all in the medical profession and being in oil and gas. I had a hard time kind of finding that direct positive impact that my parents and my aunts, uncles, cousins, you know, siblings all had directly with their patients, right? Where Mm. they were having this very positive, very impactful impact, I guess, in people's lives, right? And I was missing that to a certain extent. And there were certain times where I found it, you know, especially dealing with customer issues, you know, getting a call at three in the morning and, and trying to work through something. And feeling that sense of relief in the company, man, when they're like, oh man, okay, this problem's solved on to the next one, right? <laughs> oh yeah. And so leveraging kind of those core values of learning, of traveling, which to a certain extent is also a learning thing, mm-hmm. you know, of family and so on and so forth. It was all in the effort of trying to provide more of a positive impact in people's lives and particularly in cool. those in front of me, right? And so I guess like if I had to blurt out a personal mission statement, regurgitate one, it would be around like, I want to learn as much as I possibly can to make sure that I'm making a positive impact in, in, you know, in the people around me. Wow. That's great. Yeah. No, I love that. And it sounds like you've taken tools and you've, you've assessed your situations and, and you've kind of grouped it together to have a sort of a, an ideal framework on how to get there, which is amazing. And it's, again, I, I encourage anyone out there, I mean, who's listening, I'm sure they're probably sitting there scratching their head thinking, man, I wonder what my mission statement is, but I'm going to throw that on on LinkedIn and, and yeah, mention this because I think it's a really interesting topic of discussion. So I'm glad you brought that up. And and with that, before we dive into the, you know, the business side of things, I want to ask a personal question is, Assuming, you know, and I think we touched on this a little bit before, but assuming you had all, you know, all the money in the world and there was no limiters, Mm -hmm. but what would your ideal Friday night look like and who would you spend it with or how, what would describe that? Yeah. Well, my wife might kill me, but I would, (laughs) I would love to just host dinners at our house, relatively intimate, call it 10 to 12 people. Yeah. Give people an opportunity to do what we're doing right now. Right. Which is kind of diving into people's lives, talking about things, building trust, being a little bit more open about what you want out of life, where you want to be. I think very cool. human being, yeah, we lose sight a lot of times, especially in this entrepreneurial world. We think about like, okay, we need to scale. We need to scale. It's all about how much, you know, growth, how growth, many numbers, growth. yeah, hit the metrics. <laughs> and really the, like the qualitative impact is where the true value is yeah. in, especially in this entrepreneurship world. And so 
I would love to kind of, yeah, I would do that. She would probably force me to cook something uh, because she's like, I'm not cooking for 10, 12 people would you every do it, Friday. Would you do it at your house? Or if you had a place that you could, I would okay, 100% so bring people house. into yeah, to your, yeah, yeah. wow. I have a, I can't call it a memory because it was a story told to me about my great grandfather. And so my ancestry is, is Arabic and Spanish, right? And then kind of flowed through Argentina and now here in Houston. And so there is this like Arabic kind of way of life where it's, it's very open. It's very like the way I guess the community shows their love and their generosity is by inviting people over and having a meal. Wow. And my great grandfather apparently would stand at his doorway whenever they were fortunate enough to have, let's say, a lot of meat that week or whatever, and just yeah. invite people as they walked by into the what? home and, and That's have these so dinners. Cool, yeah. man. And obviously I wasn't alive for this, but like, I have this vision in my mind of what that looked like. I know right? I was envisioning right? it too, as you're like, you're <laughs> right. describing it. And, and so, you know, the story goes that like, you know, my great grandmother would always be upset because she's like, oh, now you're going to force me to cook for all these people. <laughs> that would and be I was me. Like, well, it resonates well. Because <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think probably the same with my wife, but I would love to do that. And, yeah. and I, wow. and whether that maybe that looks a little different in this day and age, you know, technologically and whatnot, but I would love to do that. I'd love to like, you know, grill or smoke something big and have people over, see a smile on their face, right? As they're enjoying a meal, good drink, and then allowing enough time for people to open up. Because I think in those environments, I think a lot of times people come to it maybe a little reserved because you don't really know what you're getting into. You're yeah. trying to understand what, you know, why am I here? Yeah, I like you, but what about it? You know, what, sure. what's going like what's on What's in here? it for me or why? And, There's and, an angle. Yeah, absolutely. And guaranteed alcohol is a great loosener in that sense, but some people don't drink. And so I'm building kind of that energy to allow for that trust to build wow. over a two, three hour dinner. That's my ideal Friday night for I, sure. I think, I mean, yeah, that, that's great. And so I'm, I'm curious on that subject, have you always had that innate, sort of desire to sort of serve and please others or or is it something that you've witnessed growing up or, or where would you say that came from both i guess again another cop-out answer but so my yeah. dad's my dad's a dentist my mom was a speech pathologist in argentina and oh, then wow. when she came here you know she didn't want to redo her title so she's she's kind of the office manager for my dad's dental practice okay and i just remember growing up seeing my dad would give you know, free dental care. He's one of the first bilingual dentists in Houston. And oh, so wow. he would give free dental care to a very lower socioeconomic community. That's amazing. And kind of pro bono and good out of, you know, goodwill and all this. And then I would watch my mom be like, well, great, but like, what are you going to pay us with? And, and so I remember like, we had all kinds of weird stuff. Like one guy paid us in chicken. So we had live chickens for no a while. No way. One, another in sand, some in bamboo. That's and like so, so old school, right? right? Like right. back in the day, you would, yeah. you would trade good for services. <laughs> yeah. And actually it's funny to relate. And I can kind mm -hmm. of align growing up in an entrepreneurial family. My parents owned a furniture business and my dad, you know, I guess he was a carpenter by, I'm going to say by trade, but he just, you know, growing up, he, he did carpentry and then he you know helped build houses and then he just, growing up, he did cabinets and countertops and then got into the furniture building. So like custom tables and stuff. Mm -hmm. cool. And yeah. And so, you know, a lot of it, you know, that, that the end it still is, but you know, he would always try and get cash, but he would always be wheeling and dealing. Like, you know, we'd go, I grew up in Vernon, British Columbia and Silver Star is the ski resort that's there. And he would always try and find people to do work for there so that they would trade like services. So, you know, if we, he built them something, then they would allow us to stay, you know, in their condo for the weekend or yeah, something. So yeah. always like trading so goods cool. or yeah. Like I remember he traded tires for like something and it was just like, you know, this weird right. transaction that like now I, like in my business, I can never do that. But, <laughs> but like, <laughs> I, I think that's really neat. Absolutely. Well, and, and, and there's a different level of value to that too, because like 
there's a story right right like yeah. like now yeah, we're yeah. talking about it and there's a memory to it and <laughs> yeah. and there's impact that far exceeds maybe the dollar value of whatever it was right because yeah, <laughs> like the sand for example became a sand soccer court in our backyard and no we way. would have neighborhood kids come over and we'd play sand soccer all the yes. time and so like memories of sand soccer i don't know if we would have had a sand soccer court if this had happened right like <laughs> yeah. there wasn't a time where we thought okay i'm going to use this al- allocate this money that i got out of my dental practice to building to a build sand a court, sand court yeah. but because we had sand that was kind of the way it unfolded amazing uh, this is so, all making sense now yeah, yeah yeah so i think there is a little bit of nature and nurture involved with kind of that trying to impact people's lives positively in a way that, you know, it was easy, I guess, to see in the medical profession. Yeah. It was harder to find in oil and gas. That doesn't mean it doesn't exist. I think people do this all the time. I just think maybe I took a path of least resistance in joining kind of the canon where we do this every day, right? We look, we seek out entrepreneurs to try to like help them with their, you know, with whatever company, enterprise, whatever idea that they have to try to kind of build it up in a way that not only has positive impact, but is sustainable and and profitable. Right. And I'm anxious to talk about that, but I do want to highlight a very cool rollout provided by our sponsor, who's Technip FMC. They've recently deployed an app designed for their onshore customers. This app can be used on all mobile devices and is designed to quickly and easily find product documentation and support resources download the latest operation and maintenance manuals, easily access warning and safety instructions through the app. And if you're just not sure of the exact product that you need for your operations or even who to contact, the app's catalog, location, and contact us section can help you find that information. Download their Surface app today by scanning the QR code in the video on LinkedIn or by simply clicking the link in the show notes. We're also doing our monthly happy hours here in Houston at the Canon. Check out OGGN.com for details on all our events. And also check out the OGGN.com again for all the recent podcasts that we've deployed. We've got, I think, up to 12 podcasts out now, ranging from everything from ESG to leadership to safety. I mean, any sort of topic you can think of, we we have a podcast for, which is which is awesome. And so, again, for all the listeners out there, please, if you could, share the episode. And I know I have way more downloads than I do reviews. So please, if you could leave a review, even if it's just the stars, that's totally cool too. It helps. And if you have any ideas for a show or anyone who you think would be a great guest, I'm always open to that. So Alex, so going back a little bit in time now, so you're from, where are you from originally? So I was born in Houston. Oh, you were? Uh, Yeah, yeah. But I effectively grew up in a a quarter of my life in Argentina because we would spend all of the Houston summers in Argentina as kids. And so my mom's from Salta in the north and my dad's from Mendoza, most famously known for their Malbec wines. Oh, yeah. And so we would live there for three months out of the year, at least us kids, right? My dad would stay here and work. And so it was was great because I... I got to appreciate a different culture. Obviously, my, my Spanish is very Argentine. Uh, okay. So how would you describe, say, Argentine Spanish compared to, say, say Mexican Spanish? Yeah. Or- so Argentines are known for being a little too arrogant. So I'll, I'll, oh. I'll try to avoid going down that route. But okay. I think it's a little bit more sing-songy. It kind of flows, I feel like, a little differently than, than in Mexican Spanish. But it's very similar to, like, British English and American English or Australian English, right? There's... There's just some words that are a little different, okay. the accent's different, yeah. and sometimes the pronunciation of, of those same words is a little different. Sure. What was your favorite thing to do in Argentina during the summers? I mean, play soccer for sure. But I guess looking back, honestly, at the time, I'll tell you it wasn't my favorite. But because it was winter there, 
I went to school because there was nothing else to do. My cousins were in school, so hmm. I would just go to school. Wow. And at the time I was like, man, this is this sucks. Like I don't want yeah, to go to school summer. Break, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but looking back, terrible. like going to school with when your grades don't matter and like r- really you're just there to learn and meet people is phenomenal, yeah. right? I, like I think I'd have a great time. It's absolutely, <laughs> yeah. right? And so you just get to like make a group of friends that you see, you know, for 3 months out of the year. And no one's hounding you when you get home about your report card. <laughs> right? Right? Yeah. No, exactly. And so yeah, that wow. was like the huh. that was the foundational layer for a lot of other things that, you know, good memories that I have around whether it was playing soccer or yeah. or I don't know, going to back then they had the they called them Cyber Cafes, which were like you would link up computers and you could play games against each other on the computer. They oh. still exist. Or I guess they're pretty famous in Japan. And so we would do a lot of that. But like, yeah, no, I would say my wow. my favorite thing was the fact that I got to go to school without like the responsibility of making sure that I made good grades. Yeah. Would you say doing that? I mean, and, and I'm sure, I mean, you seem like a very personal person, but do you think going and th- getting thrown into a, like random schools in the summertime, like sort of helped develop your social skills? Cause I would say you, you've, yeah. you've got a pretty good level of social ability. Oh, for sure. I, for a long time, I considered myself an introvert because, uh-huh. you know, I would, I would be more energized about just being at home and reading or watching TV or something. Okay. And over time that transitioned, I like, I mean, COVID, to a certain extent was tough in that regard. And I would start like, like we were talking about this, I guess, before we started where you were doing podcasting two or three times a week, you know, because you had the time, but also you had the opportunity. People want to have that engagement. And so I, I used, I think it was called lunch club where you would get linked with random people and do a video chat for 45 minutes. <laughs> no way. And I would do that two or three times a week. And that's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Super uncomfortable, but a lot, a lot of fun. And you just yeah. like meet. And I would say maybe 10% of the people that I talked to there, I still talk to today and, and, you know, find value out of, out of the conversations and the relationship. But yeah. that's, it's kind of part of it. But uh-huh. yes, absolutely. Like to your point, being in uncomfortable situations helps you learn and, and appreciate, I guess, things differently. Yeah. And so I think being in that environment not only prepared me to want to be in other different environments, but also definitely prepared me in, in trying to find the source of like why people want to do what they do, right? Mm. A little bit of behavioral psychology, right? And, yeah. and understanding like you know, okay, not everyone's the same. People have different incentives. Everybody's going through something in their lives, right? And finding a way to kind of make the most of it and helping people achieve that became a clear goal because of it. No kidding. But then you you went to college, was it SMU? SMU, okay. Yeah. Yeah. And then how did you end up getting into energy? Because like you said, your dad, you know, obviously medical and a lot of your family. So how did that transpire? Like I was mentioning, my parents are Argentine. They have a strong Argentine community here in, in Houston. And so they kind of connected me to different people in that community, all worked in oil and gas, mostly for a company called Tenaris, which mm-hmm. does casing and tubing. And so I interned there and I loved it. I remember thinking this was like the perfect marriage of like Argentine social culture with American corporate culture. And like, this is wow. phenomenal. And not only that, but like, as I transitioned kind of full-time role, I did technical sales, which was fascinating because it was effectively a two-year training of petroleum engineering, right? I came in as an industrial, I had a degree in industrial engineering and finance. Most of the people that did that, SMU at least, went into iBanking and Mm. in kind of that world. And I was like, man, I can't sit in front of a computer 100 hours a week. That's just, yeah. 
it's just not me. Yeah. And so I went to Daenerys. I started kind of in a role that was like market analytics, which was sitting in front of a computer for eight hours a day. <laughs> but quickly found technical sales, which was in a, kind of exciting because it allowed for for traveling all over, trying to you know dive into operations at a very granular level, figure out mm-hmm. what they were doing right, wrong, whatever the case may be, all over the world. And so the first two years I spent, the first year, actually with another one of your guests, Patrick Nash uh, yeah. in Argentina. Shout out to Patrick. Yeah. He's awesome. Yeah. yeah. Fantastic guy. And actually, you know, I'll, I'll credit him with some of my learning process in Argentina because I remember thinking, so six months we spent in the mills and then six months we spent on a rig in the middle of nowhere in Oaken. Wow. And, and I remember th- like on the rigs, like thinking, man, this sucks. <laughs> like, I don't know if I can do this. Like, this is just not, not for me. And like, we weren't doing too on, too off. Like we were just there indefinitely because we were there to learn. It was not like we were, you know, we had a hard job. We were there to literally just watch and learn and appreciate issues and, and kind of grow. And Patrick had this energy of like every morning, you know, he would wake up at like 4.30 and, or, or 5 and and go out there and just watch, you know, drill pipe. And I was like, this is the most boring thing ever. But I was competitive. And so I was like, if you're up at 4.30, I'm going to be on the floor. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And (laughs) I'm going to be out on the rig floor. But it helped me kind of appreciate the learning process, right? That you don't necessarily have to love what's going on. And maybe there's like the actual process of or the operation might be boring but there's minutia that you could always be learning and appreciating and asking questions yeah and building relationships right with people that patrick does phenomenally well and so i got the chance to kind of partner with him for for six months in an environment that allowed for me to kind of grow from that and so yeah that was great but yes so so tenaris was a phenomenal opportunity to kind of again learn and travel it opened up a lot of doors to kind of something that you said you enjoyed, which is like sitting with drilling engineers, VPs, even, you know, kind of commercial people, supply chain people and solve problems, right? Mm-hmm. From a, a broader scope, yes. not, right? They're yeah. just like, not just from a price standpoint, not just from a supply standpoint, but from a technical standpoint, from a design standpoint, from a chemical standpoint. It was a really, really good learning experience. I bet. I bet. So then, and then what made you, so, cause you had a pretty good stint in oil and gas. I think it was almost 10 years or maybe mm-hmm. it was close or yeah. a little over uh, eight, seven or eight years. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, a good run and arguably, I mean, just looking through your LinkedIn, you'd advanced and, and you'd, you know, gotten to a position of, you know, somewhat of management and, and you were like, again, like I'm sure you had a bright future, whether it was a Tenaris or anyone else in oil and gas, but then you then come to a co-working space yeah. known as the Canon. And so what was, I mean, you know, you don't have to get too granular with, with maybe what happened or didn't happen, but like what made you yeah. switch gears and, and come into this space? Because it's totally different. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, not to disparage the time that I had at Tenaris, but it was, I got to, I guess, looping back to the original discussion we had, which was like, what are your core values? What is your What are your mission statements? I got to a point, I think, in the corporate environment where it was going to be hard to really learn a lot, spend time with family, kind of grow, make that positive impact in people's lives. Mm-hmm. Because it was, you know, I had grown in the company to the point where it was like, all right, dude, now you got to spend three to five years in this role before yeah. we can move you up. Like you just got to, you got to sit here and, and learn. And I don't think that's something unique to Tenaris, but that's kind of where I felt like I, I might be at. And so, and then I had a, a weekend, I guess, where a customer had an issue and I was like, all right, I'm going to, you know, I went to the supply chain guy's house. We resolved the problem in 24 hours because we ne- it needed to happen then. And I come in Monday and it was like, well, you didn't go through the right process and procedures. 
Like that's no, what you're, you guys are high-fiving yourselves about was wrong. Mm. And I don't, again, I don't think that's something inherent to Tenaris. I think that's something that happens in a large corporate environment, right? Yeah. The process and procedures are there to protect the company for a certain reason, right? Yes. And so I totally understood that. But to me, it led me to believe that like, okay, I need to go to a smaller company and find something smaller and kind of, you know, I can expedite learning. I can kind of get involved, have more responsibility, have more impact, which I know people throw that word impact around a lot these days, but that I was lacking that feeling Mm -hmm. and being an engineer, I was like, all right, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to give myself a year and I'm going to like on a quarterly basis kind of transition and so, you know, Q1 of this year is going to be, I'm going to just spend time with family because my daughter was, was born and I just wanted to like appreciate what I had in front of me. Yeah. Q2, I kind of reached out to my network. Q3, I, you know, eliminated options. I had a lot of people in, in iBanking and private equity and I, I tried it again and I was like, mm, no, still not for me. Okay. Just in the sense of trying it in the sense of like understanding what would have entailed for me to do that. Yeah. And then Q4, leave. And so thankfully, I grew up with Lawson Gao, the founder of the Canon, and known each other since second grade. But when he started it in that, you know, crappy building in the front. I mean, I uh, podcasted out of there. That's where yeah, I started yeah, podcasting. exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think what the digital wildcatters yes. are still there. Yeah. Varsity Hype are still there. Yeah, oh, I mean, yeah. like. It's like, legacy. Man. Absolutely. That small building kind of cultivated a, a, this such a buzz and energy around entrepreneurship <laughs> so cool, that, man. yeah, people still want to be there. Yeah. Well, so when Lawson started that, I was living in Rio, oil and gas, quote unquote, expat salary. I was like, there's no way I'm coming home to help with this, not make any money. You know? Yeah, yeah. And so credit to him that they've kind of, and the team that they've built this up. And so, yeah, so so I, I was planning actually joining the Canon in March of 2020, and we all know what happened March of 2020. And so we, you know, thankfully Lawson was like, dude, like I can't honor you making any kind of salary here because I don't, we don't know what's going to happen with COVID at the time. No kidding. And so I kind of stay with Tenaris, but always with that mindset of like, I know that I'm leaving and figuring out ways to kind of transition things cordially, right? So I didn't leave Tenaris hanging in any way. And started doing some work, you know, kind of the entrepreneurial world and just really, really loved it. And I was like, well, you know what a lot of times is missing in the entrepreneurial world is that kind of structural, methodical kind of approach to entrepreneurship, right? Yeah. There's a lot of people that have amazing ideas and they just stay there. They're just ideas because they have a harder time kind of building it right yeah. and being and being consistent and being dedicated yeah there's a lot of as gordon doherty of capital factory told me it was like there's a lot of zero to one right people that make something out of nothing and it's important to have those people but you need the people that'll take that one to ten or one yeah. to one hundred right and so i realized okay what i've learned in the corporate world and specifically what i learned in Tenaris, because it was such a grinding environment and so so structured and methodical i can apply this and really help entrepreneurs, right? Or, or entrepreneurs, people that like want to start something cool. And this is what this world needs. And I can really make a wow. lot of impact here. And so that's kind of where I dove into it. And now I feel like, I mean, I, I officially joined in February. I feel like now looking back, what I really want to do is go out to those people that are in those corporate environments and say like, Hey dude, like, I don't think you realize like one, that entrepreneurship isn't as risky as people think. And two, like you can make such a tremendous impact in a startup's, you know, trajectory because you come from a corporate environment and you might have a little bit more structure to what you do. And then in Houston, we just have like such an opportunity because 
you have this huge energy base, right? You have really, really intelligent people coming in from all over the world to work in the energy industry that sometimes they feel like they can't innovate in those, in their environments. Yeah. You have healthcare, right? One of the largest medical centers in the world. Yeah. You have NASA, right? Some of the smartest, most dedicated people in the world to trying to, you know, to expand our horizons quite literally. Right. Yeah. And so like tapping into the fact that like, Hey, the nine to five job, the 40 year career in the same company just isn't what people are looking for these days. Right. And the fact that you've, there's money in the city, there's opportunity in this city and you bring the drive and the talent, like we can really build something amazing. Right. And so finding opportunities to help people do that, that was such a good calling for me personally. And so the can has kind of helped in that. Okay. So that leads me into my next question is as chief commercial officer, is that sort of your role in helping folks or, or describe what, what your role yeah, is within yeah, the yeah. Canon community. Okay. Well, so I guess to get to draw away from the passionate side and softer side, I guess, sure. of things like no, but that's fascinating. Uh, at a granular basis, there's the Canon kind of has five revenue streams, right? One is kind of the managed service side of things where a building will pay us to manage the environment and create kind of that entrepreneurship feel. Okay. Yeah. Two is the technology. So we have uh, an online platform, a digital community, if you will, where we try to take everything that we do in our physical spaces and put it onto that platform, which is called Canon Connect. Yeah. And kind of, you know, some people have called it, I guess, like a LinkedIn, but more focused for entrepreneurs, right? And okay. so that's, that's the intent of it. We do consulting. So we do innovation consulting for cities, states, countries. Wow. Uh, yeah. We I had have, no idea. Yeah. Well, a lot of times it feels a little bit non-strategic to do that because it doesn't impact our community and our spaces and in our online platform, right? Sure. As much as, as the work it takes to actually execute. Hmm. But again, to our vision, we want to be global, right? And, yeah. and so to learn from other countries and to and to appreciate that like what we're doing here doesn't necessarily work in Milan it doesn't necessarily work in Quito right and what does work there has been a really really transformative kind of experience for us and then to get paid to do it is great of course <laughs> we have a crowdfunding platform that we're working with the SEC to kind of finally get launched here in the next few months. That would be another revenue stream. And then sponsorships and, and kind of events and things like that. And so we work with a lot of partners to kind of take funds that they have allocated to, you know, promoting the innovation community and trying to make the most impact with their dollars, right? Not just slapping a logo on a wall, but if Shell's going to be here with their logo, also having them engage with the community, having a space for them, right? Mm -hmm. Technib FMC, right? Phenomenal company that incredibly innovative, that looks at it in a different lens than a traditional large corporation of like, hey, we want to partner with all these young startups coming out of these space. Can you help us find deal flow so that we we know how to we know we know what's out there we know what's being innovated and we'll we'll come in and we'll provide the corporate expertise we'll provide the funding we'll we'll pilot it and kind of help scale it so that's those are the five revenue streams so my my goal obviously as chief commercial officer is to kind of increase those those five revenue streams and make them a little bit more synergistic, right? Having the ability to, if we do something as far as sponsorship goes, making sure that it's impacting maybe the consulting side or the managed service side, you know, growing the community. And then the big thing that I think we're at a point where we need to transition to is, and I know I, I was derogatory about this word earlier, is to scale it, right? Having, you know, a good process in place to kind of be able to take that, let's say, call it a playbook, and go to Mesa, Arizona and plop it down and execute it in a way that gives you the same feel that you get when you walk into the doors of, you know, the Canon West Houston here on Britmore, right? Yeah. And so 
I would say those are my goals for next year is to kind of find more opportunities to build on that strategy and to scale it. Wow. No, that seeing that, that is crazy because I had no idea. I thought literally you were like, yeah, I thought you had two buildings and it was a co-working space. Right. I mean, and, and again, like, because I'm, I'm in my lane and I don't, you know, expand, but like hearing that is, is fascinating. I didn't realize sort of the potential and yeah, I guess just different avenues that you, you can take to, I mean, generate this, not only a community, but a way for like creating a thriving environment for in, in so many different ways. Yeah. Uh, no, we do we do a poor job of, of marketing it to be honest. Well, with I you. was gonna that's what I was gonna <laughs> say is is I would be shouting from the rooftops of LinkedIn and everywhere else. Right. Because yeah, I think it's crazy. I mean, you guys obviously have a lot of momentum behind you and have a good team. What would you say right now is your biggest limiter for achieving some of these milestones or goals that you guys have within your organization. Yeah, yeah. Well, so to your point, I think we've gotten really good at the co-working element of this ecosystem, right? Like right. it's just easy, a space right? management. Yeah. yeah. But we don't want to be known for co-working. We want to be known as a entrepreneurial hub and a place where an entrepreneur can come and we provide them, you know, a white glove service to kind of help them from an ideation stage all the way to like a scale-up stage, right? Where even if you're trying to get connected to lawyers, accountants, what have you early on setting up your company, whether you do it as an LLC or C Corp, those kind of questions mm. all the way to like, hey, how do I build the right you know, procedure to make sure that like my company, whether it's here or in the Ukraine has a similar culture, right? So what I think, I think the biggest obstacle right now, besides the fact that apparently we're very poor at marketing our services is is the fact that like we need to be a little bit more consistent and more procedural procedural excuse me about that service side of things right mm. about you know that how we build entrepreneurs how we engage with them how we take them from a to z and so that when you come into this environment it's not this like okay, cool. It's a space. So what now? Right. Right. You come in knowing full well that like, okay, when I come here, I know that I'm going to get connected to advisors, mentors, coaches, investors, corporate, you know, innovators, academic institutions. I know that I'm going to build my network and I know that I'm, I'm going to be able to rely on others around me yeah. to be able to kind of help build it up beyond that. Wow. I'm like blown away right now. I totally did not know any of that. And again, a lot of that could just be me and not you know, doing the research. You're not, no, you're not the first person to say that. So yeah. I, I, I but think, in but yeah. in saying that, that yeah. just presents a lot of opportunity, right? Yeah. Like, cause you, you know, where there's room for opportunity, there's room to like work on certain things to then, you know, continue to, you know, again, as we say, scale and just, and grow and achieve a lot of these goals that you guys have set out to achieve. I would arguably say that that is sort of the vision, but what does the future look like? Like what is, and maybe you guys have discussed it or not, but like, what is the ultimate vision? Like you said, being yeah. globally centric and kind of tying that all together, but is there a sort of a, a greater goal amongst the whole yeah. Canon community to say, you know, because I heard, and I don't know who I was talking to, but I heard the Canon was going to have like this one here on Britmore was going to expand. And then there was going to be like apartments and there was yeah. gonna be restaurants and like, <laughs> like the own little world. And then maybe you yeah. guys get in the metaverse and have like, you know, virtual, <laughs> you know, stuff happening, absolutely, you know, absolutely. like, I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. So let me actually like loop back to one of the first comments I made, which is like the landscape of Houston. So the Canon, I think we're lucky that we started the Canon here in Houston, granted, because we're from Houston, we're a little bit biased We're you know, we, we love what Houston can become. But what Houston has taught us is that like, because 
it's such a disparate landscape and, and people are so spread out, but then in these like little nodes of population density, of education density, of wealth density, right? And for those of you that, you know, are familiar with the Houston landscape, you know, you've got like your Sugarland and Missouri cities, you've got Pearland, you've got Galveston, you've got the woodlands, you know, that you can have, it's great to have physical communities there because yeah. it, it's really hard to dilute the value of being face-to-face with someone and finding the impact there. But what you do need is is an ability to have this digital mesh or this digital overlay, right? Mm. A platform where someone in Galveston can communicate with someone here in West Houston yeah. on a concept, right? And build something completely digitally. And that, I mean, COVID has expedited that tremendously. Yeah. So while it's great for Houston, and I think Houston is unique in that environment in the entire world, what we've realized is that, okay, well, if, we're, if we look at this on a global scale, then we really need to make sure that we're developing that digital platform in a way that's yeah. actually you know engaging and useful and you're finding value out of Canon Connect. And so I think, yeah, where we kind of want to grow this and taking kind of our lessons learned is, Yes, having a physical space there is important, especially for kind of cultivating local champions and, and people that kind of start that little flywheel of entrepreneurship in that environment. Yeah. But then being able to take the whole power of this like this growing kind of world of entrepreneurship and plop it into that community digitally in the metaverse, if you if you want to call it that too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Is that's gotta be the next step, right? Yeah. Because I wanna make sure that like you know, someone in Uganda is able to connect to, again, someone in Galveston and work with UTMB down there on some new kind of potential vaccine, right? To kind of protect us from whatever the next COVID thing happens. Because the only thing that you need for entrepreneurship is a great idea and the ability and drive to kind of execute the idea on a consistent basis. Mm -hmm. After that, if we can support you with all the resources and, and the kind of the foundation that you need to accomplish that, yeah, that, I mean, that's just cake, right? But wow. finding those entrepreneurs, those ideas that drive that passion, that's everywhere. And we want to be able to tap into that. No kidding. So I guess that to follow up with that. So if I was to, and I mean, even now I'm kind of like, whoa, like that's a lot. But if you can kind of like from a 30,000 foot view, if there's people out there that are like, wow, they, they can, like, I think they could help me, but I'm just not entirely sure what, like, what would be the best way for either a startup, an entrepreneur, or like however you would describe an ideal candidate that like, yes, that person, like we could help them get from X to Z or yeah. from A to D, like, you know what I mean? Like what would that to, yeah, to kind yeah. of sum it together and say, hey, if you're out there and you're doing this, talk to me, I can help you. Absolutely. And it doesn't have to just be an entrepreneur, right? It could be a corporate innovator or, sure. or a student. But I would say the easiest way is to go online, go to thecanon.com. You can start there. You can get on our digital platform, start kind of playing around there. Or if you feel more comfortable just like engaging with one-on-one -on -one with a person, reach out to me on LinkedIn and let's set up some time to chat, kind of figure out where you're at in your journey, your entrepreneurial journey, where your gaps are, and let us see how we can we can kind of help do the, you know, plug those gaps and really yeah. kind of build on those strengths. Very cool. Very cool. What do you like most about what you do? Yeah. <laughs> oh man. God, the, the people. It's just like, it's so, so cool like the energy that people have in this world, right? I think like, so we talked a little bit about the crappy small building at, at the beginning of the canon, right? That <laughs> yeah. started 2017. Well, there were about, I don't know, 20, 25 startups in that space. And let's see, they started leasing it in 2017. 
in July of 2017. For those of you in Houston, you remember Harvey hit in August. Yeah. Well, so like just going through the hazing ritual of like making sure this building stayed afloat quite literally (laughs) (laughs) Uh, to like making sure the startups were, you know, were afloat and everybody just kind of being in, in each other's business and kind of going through that grind kind of helped me realize, and granted, I wasn't necessarily formally part of the canon, but I I would come and, and be, you know, around that community a lot, just seeing the way people bonded over those experiences yeah. to me was something that I hadn't seen in a long, long, long time. Elon Musk has that quote that's like, entrepreneurship is like chewing on glass and staring into the abyss of death. Oh right? my God. <laughs> it's, it's gruesome, but a lot of times it can feel that way. And so like, diluting that diminishing the feeling of like i'm alone in this world and this is hard yeah like by building a group of peers in a community that's out there trying to do something like you are something that's bigger than you a little bit it was truly impactful and so like when people come into these spaces and they're like yeah i love the energy i love the buzz and they can't truly put their finger on it yeah it's hard to quantify right, right? it is but to me it's that it's that aspect of like Hey, everybody's in here trying to accomplish something, maybe a little different, maybe a little different industry, maybe some more technologically advanced than others, but we're all trying to create something out of nothing, right? And we're all trying to solve problems for the world and we're all going to help each other figure out ways to do that. Yeah. And so that's, that's what really, really attracts me. Like what gets you up in the morning kind of thing. Yeah. Like that's it coming into this space, coming in any of our spaces, going online and seeing people creating things that like out of truly out of nothing or out of some problem they had and then being able to help them and realizing that you're not just impacting you know them on a personal level that you're impacting the sustainability of of their business right mm-hmm. is inspiring yeah and, and i think a lot of it comes down and even to your comment at the very beginning regarding you know hosting people and and creating an environment i mean it sounds like you're doing that you know on a business level and and serving others and and really you know i suspect that you would be extremely have an extreme sense of gratification if you saw a company come in and use the canon and you worked hard to help them grow and to see them succeed i would imagine that you would be extremely pumped yeah, about yeah, that yeah <laughs> well what, what phil jewel one of your other guests yeah. talked about servant leadership right yeah like, phil's great that to me it kind of hits home right is like okay finding you know, being more of a certain servant leader. And then the other, I guess, since we're on that top, his episode, he talked about like, you know, failure and being okay with failure. I think, I don't know if I necessarily completely agree with it. I think like, it's okay to fail. What I think if you don't do anything with it, then it's not okay. Right. Right. And so that's another part of kind of this world that I really enjoy is that like, typically when someone comes in to build a startup and the startup fails, Mm. that doesn't mean they go back to a corporate gig. They typically go and try to find something else and start up again and have a lesson learned here. You talk to Andrew Bruce from data gumbo here in this space and he'll tell you, man, like if I didn't fail my three prior startups, data gumbo would never be where it's at today. Right. And having those and being able to share those lessons learned to me is again, it goes back to kind of that community feel. Yeah. Well, you mentioned earlier about getting up in the morning and what drives you. And I'm curious to touch on that is, is do you have any habits or routines? I mean, you mentioned getting up with while I'm drawing a blanket with Daenerys, you woke up at four in the morning uh, (laughs) on the rigs. Yeah. yeah. And so, yeah, I'm curious if you have anything that really helps keep you on track and gets you going in the mornings or any time of the day, really. 
I need to be better about being habitual. I love variety. I love doing new things. I love trying new things. The way I guess I approach trying to develop habits, especially in the morning, is to do it with other people. Okay. I guess we're on the theme of like, you know, engaging with people a lot throughout this whole episode. But (laughs) like, you know, if I go running, like I'll go running with someone else and just to kind of talk about whatever's going on in their world and their life. But then, oh, it gets me to run in the morning, right? Mm. Um, If I'm having a coffee, like if I want coffee in the morning, making sure that I, you know, I do it with someone or I'm learning something. Interesting. Uh, okay. in that. And I think that's a little bit too altruistic to say that that's what I do every morning. That's definitely not. I, I would get say it. a lot of mornings I wait till my daughter's awake so that I can, you know, give her a kiss and a hug and she kicks me out of her room because I'm, you know, I'm yeah. smothering her too much. How, how old is your daughter? <laughs> She's two. Oh. She acts like, like going on 13 <laughs> I was, kind of I was, thing. Like, yeah. when, the way you were describing <laughs> yeah. it, I was going to say at least six or seven. Yeah. Well, I learned a new word recently, which is like a three-nager and it, oh, it yeah. definitely fits the bill a little bit with her but uh, yeah. my wife's a lot better about having kind of structure and routine and sure. kind of how she approaches it day to day so i kind of look to her for inspiration a lot of times to yeah. say okay like look allison's doing a great job of x y and z and kind of what she does and seeing the impact of that structure and routine yeah i need to be better about that i definitely get caught up in i guess the good analogy for especially for people in this world is like you know, you'll read a book, a self-help book or a business book. And you're like, man, I know this, right? Like I know that I need to do X, Y, and Z, but what it helps you is it reminds you that, Hey, you should have been doing X, Y, and Z. And maybe there's a new way of doing it that resonates with you more. Yeah. And so finding those opportunities to kind of take, you know, take a step back and, and say, okay, I knew I was supposed to do this. I didn't do it, but I'm going to be better about it next time. And this is how I'm going to be better about it. Uh, and having those reminders constantly is nice. And so I hope that in a year from now, when we talk again, <laughs> yeah. I'll be able to answer this question and say, yeah, I do this, this, and this, and it's yeah. awesome. And I meditate and I go for long <laughs> runs and, and, you know, like I drink matcha tea. I don't know, but, <laughs> but, but ideally we'll continue to improve and, and I'll yeah. get those constant reminders that, Hey, having those habits are, you know, liberating and empowering. Yeah, no, they are. I certainly have a bit of one of myself, but I found it interesting when you commented about, you know, if you run, you run with somebody, if you have mm-hmm. coffee with someone. And don't take the question the wrong way, but do you have a hard time being alone or like doing things by yourself? Not always. And I don't take offense to that question at all. I think like, I guess it's not like, like meeting new people isn't necessarily totally comfortable for me. I do get nervous. I got nervous before this podcast, you know, and like we've had conversations before. And so I don't necessarily think being alone is difficult. I think I just get bored. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. Yeah. But there is, I'm trying to think of who it was that was talking about, how like, you know, the greatest punishment you can have in our society is self-isolation, right? And what does that really entail is like having, what, 23 hours a day being alone with your thoughts. I mean, think about that. Like the fact that like the greatest punishment we can inflict on another human being is you have to be alone with your thoughts, right? And so like getting better about meditation and kind of understanding you know, making sure that the thoughts don't make the decisions for you, but allowing them to kind of yeah. flow through you and, and kind of analyzing them on a, on a case-by-case basis, I think is important. So I know I'm not answering your question directly, no, but that's okay. I don't find it hard, but I, I enjoy being around others. Being Inter- around yeah, others. And yeah. Because I feel like, and maybe you asking this question will motivate me a little differently, but like, I feel like I learn more from others than I learn from my own thoughts kind of thing. Yeah. And so if I'm going to continue to grow, then I need to be engaging with new environments. Right. Yeah. But that's, yeah. And I mean, really there's no right or wrong answer. It's just, it's interesting. Just, you know, the way 
I mean, human behavior, right? And everyone has a reason for the for why they do things. And that's mm-hmm. always, you know, my goal is to try and understand that to help others learn and, and maybe think, huh, you know, that's a good food for thought. Or right. maybe I need to reflect more on that because that was a great point. Which, Some nuggets. Yeah, yeah. no, it, it is. And even, you know, selfishly, I'm always curious. So, yeah. Well, one last question I have be- before we let everyone go here is, is there anything about yourself that not many people know about or you got any random hobbies or <laughs> when you're not, you know, growing the Canon community and being a great father and husband? I mean, is there anything that you like do off the whim that yeah. like kind of back to the true roots of who you are? I don't know. I mean, I've been told that I'm too honest. So maybe there uh-huh. aren't too many things that people or at least some group of people in my life don't already know about. But I, I guess the thing that most surprises people is that aspect of like doing odd jobs and odd kind of activities like like driving uber or or instacart or that's yeah uh, actually that or or things like that yeah or you know and volunteering and and weird kind of things like granted like i'll do it typically what ends up happening is i'll do it like three to five times and i stop but like to me it's like it's stress inducing but you realize okay like there's growth in this right like i'm engaging the world in a way that i never thought i would do before and i think what the next step that i need to take in that kind of journey or or that thing that i do is to kind of do more of like a reflective look on like what i learned because i think a lot Mm. of times i'll do it and i'll be like okay that was tough, but that was cool. That was interesting. Yeah. You know, I met some cool people or <laughs> yeah. like maybe there's something I can apply here and maybe doing more of a debrief and analysis of like, what exactly can I take from this experience that I can apply into my day-to-day life beyond the fact that it was something different and new and, and trippy. But yeah, I would highly encourage anybody to do that. I mean, I guess I'm plugging Uber and Instacart, but but the, okay. you know, getting involved with things that like challenging yourself to get involved in an environment that you're not comfortable in is a tremendous growth process and then kind of digesting it to the extent that like, Hey, how can I apply those to, to maximize my strengths and maybe shore up some weaknesses is a huge, huge value add into anything that you that you want to do with your life. Yeah, no, I think that's a great way to close. I think Alex just dropped the mic. You didn't hear that, but he definitely (laughs) did. Alex, this has been an absolute pleasure. I mean, it's already been an hour now and it feels like we were just getting started, but I'm excited to continue on with our relationship and to see the canon grow. Like I said, I, I was in the you know, sort of the legacy building there. And now that I'm more aware of what you guys offer, it's something that I can help spread too. Because people always ask like, oh, the Canon, like you are out there all the time. And yeah, but again, I think it's exciting, so much opportunity. And I wish you guys nothing but the best. And for anyone out there who's looking to connect, like say, well, put the link in the show notes for the Canon. I'll put Alex's LinkedIn link in the show notes as well. That way, definitely connect with him, add him to your network. And yeah, if you have any questions for him, obviously he's very open and willing to help others, which is amazing. And with that said, everybody always remember when the density's up and the gas is down, open the choke. Let's go to town. Thanks, everybody. Thanks again for listening. Tune in next week for another episode of Oil & Gas Onshore, a production of Oil & Gas Global Network. For more information, visit OGGN.com.